You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 72 of the GDPR Weekly Show and welcome to our first show in 2020. And I hope that everyone listening had a good Christmas and looking forward to a good, peaceful and prosperous new year in 2020. And it's certainly our intention to bring you all the latest GDPR stories over the next 12 months to keep you up to date with what's happening in the world of GDPR. As usual, we'd like to start with a call out to our new listeners. And this week, we have new listeners in London, Cardiff, Portsmouth, Birmingham, Havant, Reading, Leeds, Ipswich, Milton Keynes, Guildford, Blackburn, Leicester, Southampton, Manchester, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Derby, Hull, Norwich, Chichester, Bognor Regis, Coventry, Liverpool, Swansea, Wolverhampton and Winchester, all in the UK. Then in Ireland we have new listeners in County Kerry, Dublin, County Meath and County Wexford. In France we have new listeners in Paris, Valence and Met. In Spain we have new listeners in Barcelona and Madrid. In Portugal we have new listeners in Liera and Porto. In Belgium, we have new listeners in Brussels. In the Netherlands, we have new listeners in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, Tilburg and Eindhoven. In Germany, we have new listeners in Hamburg, Dusseldorf, Cologne, Dortmund and Stuttgart. In Denmark, we have new listeners in Copenhagen and Zealand. In Sweden, we have new listeners in Stockholm and Stein. In Norway, we have new listeners in Oslo and Bergen. In Russia, we have new listeners in Moscow. In Estonia, we have new listeners in Tallinn. In Poland, we have new listeners in Warsaw and Lodz. In the Czech Republic, we have new listeners in Prague. In Austria, we have new listeners in Vienna. In Slovenia, we have new listeners in Ljubljana. In Switzerland, we have new listeners in Geneva and Bern. In Italy, we have new listeners in Pisa and Venice. In Serbia, we have new listeners in Belgrade. In Romania, we have new listeners in Bucharest. In Bulgaria, we have new listeners in Sofia. In Jordan, we have new listeners in Amman. In India, we have new listeners in Karnataka and Delhi. In Myanmar, we have new listeners in Yangon, and they are our first listeners in Myanmar, so a big welcome to you. In South Korea, we have new listeners in Seoul. In Australia, we have new listeners in Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth, and of course we send a special message to all our Australian listeners, wishing you all safety in the major fires that are enveloping across Australia, particularly southwestern Australia at the present moment, and we hope that you all keep safe. We have new listeners in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro and Petrolina. We have new listeners in Colombia, in Santander, and then in the USA we have new listeners over the Christmas period in Pasco, San Francisco, Seattle, Norfolk, Lafayette, New York, Orlando, Washington, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Charlotte, Dallas, Denver, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Kalamazoo, Minneapolis, Austin, Rochester, Fort Myers, Cincinnati and Greensboro. So, as always, a great range of new listeners right around the globe and we say a big welcome to all of you and of course a big thank you to all of our regular listeners and we do appreciate all of you tuning in every week and take 30 minutes or so out of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. And, as always, if you have any feedback, please do send it to me. Please email podcast at insurety.co.uk. That's the N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. 
And I do read all the emails that you send in. I don't have time to reply to them all individually, but they are all read. And wherever possible, we do incorporate your suggestions into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So, without further ado, in a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in episode 72 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we begin with news of a data breach affecting recipients of the New Year's Honours in the New Year's Honours list in the UK for 2020. We then look at the introduction of CCPA plus new data regulations in Oregon, Illinois and Texas in the US. We have an article on a data breach at the East Flanders Police Academy in Belgium. We have an update on the ECJ ruling which is awaited on the relevance of the EU-US Privacy Shield and other related issues with data transfers between the EU and the US. We have an update on concerns over GDPR investigation log jams and the postcode lottery for the fines and penalties imposed under GDPR across the EU. We have a look at some new GDPR penalties being introduced by Luxembourg And then finally this week, we end with a short article on why use an external DPO. So a good mix of articles to kick off the year. And I hope you find the program useful and informative. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We begin this week with news of a data breach from the New Year's Honours List. For those of them overseas... Here in the UK, every New Year, uh, a select group of people get uh, honours from the government, either an MBE, an OBE, a knighthood, etc. And traditionally, the list is released a day or two before New Year's Day and widely reported in the UK press. However, this year... More than 1,000 celebrities, government employees and the politicians who received honours had their home and work addresses posted on a government website. The accidental disclosure happened when an Excel spreadsheet containing all of these details was actually put as a link onto one of the government websites rather than just a link to a PDF with names and very basic details. The accidental Disclosure of the personal details is considered to be a significant security breach, particularly as senior police and Ministry of Defence staff were among those whose addresses were made public. Many of the more than a dozen MOD employees and senior counter-terrorism officers who received honours in the New Year's Honours List had their home addresses revealed in the downloadable list, along with countless others who may believe the disclosure had put them in a vulnerable position. It should be said that the details also include the addresses of a number of notable public figures, including the musicians Sir Alton John, Drew Trichter, Ben Stokes, NHS England's Chief Executive Simon Stevens, politicians Ian Duncan Smith and Diana Johnson, TV chef Nadia Hussain, and the former Director of Public Prosecutions Alison Saunders, all of whom had their home addresses published in the document. Others included Jonathan Jones, the Permanent Secretary of the Government's Legal Department, and John Manzoni, the Cabinet Office Permanent Secretary. Less well-known figures included academics, Holocaust survivors, prison staff, and community and faith leaders. 
It is thought that the document, which contains the details of 1,097 people, went online at 10.30pm on the Friday before New Year and was taken down in the early hours of Saturday morning. The vast majority of people on the list had their house numbers, street names and postcodes included. A Cabinet Office spokesperson apologised for the error and said it had reported itself to the Information Commissioner's Office. A version of the New Year's Honours List 2020 was published in error which contained recipients' addresses, the spokesperson said. The information was removed as soon as possible. We apologise to all those affected and are looking into how this happened. We have reported the matter to the ICO and are contacting all those affected directly. Now, of course, because it was an Excel spreadsheet, although the data was only available for a few hours, it's unknown at the present time how many people may have downloaded a copy of that spreadsheet and, of course, since may either have kept that copy or indeed duplicated it themselves and passed it on to others. It's caused real concern and the Shadow Cabinet Office's Office Minister John Trichet said, if the government can't get sensitive details right, then how can it possibly expect us to believe it and sort out the big issues facing the country? This level of incompetence is unacceptable. The ICO, for its part, has said that in response to reports of a data breach involving the Cabinet Office and the New Year's Honours List, the ICA will be making further inquiries. It is understood that government officials are offering security advice and guidance to the victims of the New Year's Honours data leak, and of course it may be that in the case of officials from Ministry of Defence or other government intelligence agencies, that having their private address details released will present a security risk to them and to the country potentially and so the trust list could be very high as those people will need to be relocated to new permanent addresses. Lord Bob Kerslake, a former head of the civil service, called the leak a serious and indeed extraordinary breach given that details about New Year's Honours list is published annually. This is a well-established process that has gone on pretty much the same way for years so I think an urgent investigation is certainly needed, he said. While the leak is likely to be human error, there are questions over how well staff were trained over the importance of maintaining security. The Cabinet Office said it was not in a position to make any further comment until the issue had been resolved and discussed with the Information Commissioner's Office. If the government is found to have breached GDPR, and it would appear that almost certainly it has, then of course it could find itself open to a fine, just like any other organisation. Conservative MP Sir Bernard Jenkins, the former Chairman of the Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Select Committee, said yesterday that the civil service will be agonising over how this happened. There will clearly be an investigation to establish exactly who decided what. They must publish their findings as soon as possible, he said. He added that it's far more important to find how the mistake was made than to find one individual to punish because it is likely that there was miscommunication or misunderstanding or an innocent oversight rather than gross negligence or even malice. Now we expect to get an update on this uh, sometime in the next few weeks from Information Commissioner's Office, so as soon as we receive that update, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. As we're now into 2020, we are of course seeing the launch of the CCPA, the California uh, Citizens Privacy Act, and we're also seeing new regulations coming in in three other U.S. states, those being Texas, Illinois and Oregon, who've introduced new obligations with effect from the 1st of January. And of course it should be remembered now that in the U.S. all 50 states and the District of Columbia 
require companies to notify people of security breaches of personal information. But the amendments which have come in as an effect of 1st of January in Texas, Illinois and Oregon um, perhaps require a little more explanation. The Oregon measure, SB684, extends some data breach notice ob obligations to vendors and expands the definition of personal information to include information used to access an online account. The Oregon law is said to be quite unique in requiring vendors to notify the State Attorney General if a breach involves the personal information of more than 250 Oregon residents. Illinois will require data collectors to notify the State Attorney General for breaches affecting more than 500 Illinois residents. Under their new bill, SB 1624, amending the state's personal information protection law. Texas will require businesses to notify affected individuals within 60 days of determining a breach occurred, rather than notifying them as quickly as possible, which is what's always said under the current law. The Texas Bill, HB 4390, also adds an obligation to notify the State Attorney General if the breach involves at least 250 Texas residents, and creates a Privacy Protection Council that will make recommendations for future state privacy laws by the 1st of September 2020. The varying timelines for reporting data breaches and the varying details of where the limits stand in needing to report a data breach to the relevant state attorney is perhaps one good reason why there is an increasing requirement for external data protection officers within the US and indeed within the UK for companies in the UK dealing with the US and we're very pleased to be able to provide that service and so if you do have business with the US and you're based in the UK and you'd like advice on the US state of affairs at the moment with regard to data protection then please do get in touch with us drop us an email to podcast at insurity.co.uk and one of our team will be very pleased to get back to you and give you the advice that you need we will during the course of 2020, keep an eye on what's happening in the US and bring you regular updates on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A criminal investigation is underway in Belgium after a cyber attack saw hackers break into the website of the East Flanders Police Academy and steal police data the hackers broke into the police academy's website run by an external company and stole an estimate of more than 100 home addresses, mobile phone numbers and bank account details belonging to police officers. Subsequently, the hackers sent out phishing texts to around 50 police officers in which they posed either as ING or sometimes AXA bank and asked the victims for their bank codes. The text said the bank wanted to do a security check, a police officer told reporters, adding that they wanted to verify their bank account number and ask for the secret PIN. It's not believed any of the policemen actually handed over their PIN. Overall, the details of about 50 magistrates, 300 police officers and 150 apprentices have been affected. The East Flanders Police Academy has said that in response, some additional safety measures have now been installed, meaning the site is currently better protected. The local police said that they had reported the problem to the Belgian ICO and they were awaiting any further instruction from the ICO. If we receive any updates on this, either from the East Flanders Police Academy or from the 
Belgian ICO, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. All eyes will be on the European Court of Justice this week as we're waiting for the Advocate General of the European Court of Justice to give an opinion on the legality of EU-US data transfers that could have major implications for big tech companies and the US government mass surveillance practices. Businesses that transfer personal data to their customers from Europe to the US could face new difficulties depending on what decision is that comes from the European Court of Justice. The European Court of Justice Advocate General, Henrik Sorgmansgard, is due to give an opinion on the legality of data transfers between the European Union and the US at the European Court. He was expected to give his judgment on the 19th of December 2019, but we're still waiting for the decision to actually be published, um, which is why it's expected to occur sometime this week. It's thought that the Advocate General is expected to recommend at a minimum adding new conditions to the standard contractual clauses widely used by tens of thousands of businesses to transfer data outside the EU to the US and other countries. Also in the firing line is the Privacy Shield, the data protection agreement between the European Commission and the US, which allows US companies to self-certify they are compliant with US law. The decision is the latest round of a long-running legal challenge brought by Austrian lawyer Matt Srems against Facebook Ireland, who questioned the legality of the social media company's transfer of personal data of its European customers to the US. Srems argues that many large internet companies, including Facebook, have a duty to allow the US government to access data about European citizens on a mass scale for, in quotes, foreign intelligence purposes, in a way that could be used against the national interests of the EU. But the argument is, is that those accesses in themselves breach EU privacy laws, breach GDPR. In simple terms, EU law requires privacy, while US law requires mass surveillance. The question is, what happens when an EU company follows US rather than EU law, and also which should be given precedence? And that's what we're waiting for the European Court of Justice to now issue their ruling on. The case was originally heard by the Irish High Court, but they passed the case on to the European Court of Justice. One of the key questions before the Advocate General and the European Court of Justice is whether the US government provides adequate protection for the private data of European citizens from the arbitrary bulk collection and analysis by US intelligence agencies. Also at issue is whether European citizens have adequate rights of redress if they believe the US government has misused their private data under an ombudsman scheme introduced by the US government as part of the Privacy Shield Agreement with the European Union. In June 2014, the Irish High Court found that Facebook Ireland transfers personal data on Facebook's European customers to the US. The court found that Facebook's data is capable of being accessed by the US National Security Agency in the course of mass and indiscriminate surveillance of internet and social media traffic. The ruling is expected to come out either this week or next week, and obviously as soon as we do have the ruling, we'll bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR weekly show because there are two major issues at stake here. One is whether there will need to be changes to the standard contractual clauses and the second is whether the EU-US privacy shield in its, itself is actually at risk and may need to be either 
amplified or changed or even discontinued. We've got no idea at all which way the the court is likely to rule on this. So once we have any news, we will bring it to you in the future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. As we enter 2020, a number of ICOs across the EU are expressing concern about some of the ways that GDPR is operating, and in particular the de facto situation where a individual ICO is appointed to deal with inquiries into large corporations, and in fact a number of large corporations have their European base either in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, or in Luxembourg, which is resulting in a disproportionate workload onto those two countries compared with other countries in Europe. But the issue which is concerning the ICOs from those other countries, and particularly the German ICOs, is that their citizens aren't seeing redress for what they see as being faults under GDPR or offences under GDPR within a reasonable time span because the ICOs in Luxembourg and Ireland are effectively creating a logjam of cases and it's taking longer and longer for cases to be investigated. And part of this problem is when you think that the largest companies, and we're talking about Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Twitter and others, all are being investigated by either the Irish ICO or the Luxembourg ICO. And the other complaint which is being made is that the lead supervisory authorities in charge of regulating some of the world's most powerful tech companies have leaned heavily heavily towards engagement or doling out advice on how to stay legal over investigations and enforcement. And therefore, it's very much up to the investigating ICO what they choose to do in an individual case and of course that can mean that some citizens in other countries within the EU feel disgruntled that perhaps they feel that if the case has been handled by their own ICO they would have seen faster resolution and maybe a financial penalty imposed on the company as opposed to just a ticking off and some guidance on what the company should be doing differently. The other concern is the lack of transparency and cooperation between the European Data Protection Authorities when they're meant to work hand-in-hand to enforce the rules, but end up being stymied by divergent national legal systems, cultural differences and an outmoded information exchange system. And also of concern, and this has been raised by a number of the different ICOs across the European Union, is the increasingly glaring differences in how different ICOs are imposing penalties. And this is something we've raised before in the GDPR Weekly Show, and it's one area where there is a real problem, is that where everyone is now operating to the same rule book, and they are, and that bit seems to be working well, what's not working is the penalties, because depending on which country investigates a breach of GDPR can very much affect whether the company that or organisation that's fallen foul of that breach gets fined either hundreds of thousands of euros or millions of euros. And that does seem unfair. It's almost a postcode lottery 
as to just how much you will be punished financially for a breach of GDPR, depending solely on which ICO was chosen to investigate you. And so there's a call during 2024 there to be some standardisation on penalties in particular, and also on being able to maybe spread the workload so that not all of the major cases fall just on one or two uh, information commissions offices because that does not seem to be fair because also of course it's also dependent on how much resource the relevant country puts into its ICO and one of the problems which the Irish ICO has freely admitted to is that they are under-resourced and yet the Irish government will not put more money into them to give them the resource that they need and as a result we are getting this log jam of cases, which means that some cases have been with the ICO in Ireland for over 15 months now, with no resolution. And so there are calls for the European Union to take more action to even out the load. Now, in some ways, of course, this for us in the UK is less of an issue because from the 31st of January, so just some three weeks' time, um, we drop out of GDPR per se anyway and it all comes under the UK government and whilst the rules will stay very much the same I guess that we'll look to be able to investigate many more things just under the UK ICO. So as I say it's an area of concern for the ICOs across Europe and it's something that I know we will come back to in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show as we go further into 2020. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We mentioned in the previous article about there being differences in the penalties that are imposed under GDPR across the EU. And ironically, one of the countries which has just issued its guidance on penalties is Luxembourg. And in Luxembourg, they're saying that in addition to the standard 4% penalty under GDPR, they're also looking at the following penalties. A criminal fine ranging from €251 up to €250,000 and or a prison sentence ranging from 8 days to 1 year can be imposed in the case of a breach of the legal provision regulating the processing of data for monitoring purposes in the concepts of employment. They're also looking at daily penalty payments of up to 5% of the daily average turnover of the previous year in order to oblige the data controller to communicate to the Data Protection Authority, the ICO, any information requested in application of Article 581A of GDPR and to comply with measures adopted by the ICO in the application of Articles 58, Paragraph 2, Items C to H and J of GDPR. They're also looking at criminal fines ranging from €251 to €250,000 and or prison sentences ranging from 8 days to 1 year to be imposed for anyone who obstructs the ICO in the performance of the ICO's duty and also the public publication of the ICO's decisions. 
Well, that last bit takes nobody by surprise, really, because that's really standard within all of the implementation of GDPR. But the criminal fines, and particularly the criminal fine for obstructing the performance of the ICO in their duty, is, as far as we know at the moment, unique to Luxembourg. And it'll be interesting to see whether other legislations across the EU, and indeed the UK, look to add a similar clause into their own legal framework. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We thought we'd end this first episode of the GDPR Weekly Show for 2020 by having a look at the role of the DPO, the Data Protection Officer, and whether you need a DPO, and whether that should, person should be internal or external. Now, if you do need a DPO, then they are a mandatory role for a number of organisations, and it's a role that requires total autonomy. What does that mean in practice? Well, it means that the DPO must be able to act independently of corporate hierarchies. Through total autonomy, DPOs can conduct their duties without interference from internal parties and acting independently, the DPO should report to the highest level of management in any organisation to ensure that the right department receives timely advice on all data protection issues. What is crucial with the DPO is that DPO must not be put in a position that may lead to a conflict of interest. Likewise, DPO should not have the responsibility of deciding how and why data is processed as this would blur the lines of accountability. For those reasons, it's often better to have an independent DPO, DPO from outside the organisation, and indeed we at Insurity are very proud of being able to provide an external DPO service to a wide number of organisations across the UK, from commercial organisations through educational organisations to local authorities to charities. Because the role of the DPO is crucial that it is independent and Whilst there are some protections for employees if they're a DPO, for example, if you employ a DPO internally within your company, you can't dismiss that DPO solely for doing their job as a DPO. The benefit of having an external DPO is that hopefully that conflict is totally avoided and it's very much down to the DPO's discretion what to do. And a good DPO, and we'd like to put ourselves in that category, a good DPO work with you to ensure that your training is kept up to date, that you're doing the data protection things that you should be doing, that you're doing data privacy impact assessments when you should be doing them, that you're carrying out an audit when you should be doing them. And the benefit of having an external DPO can also be that that DPO gains experience across a wide range of sectors and so can bring that external experience to bear in your own company or organisation. And as we mentioned earlier in the programme, um, there are an increasing number of countries and states across the world who are bringing in their own versions of data protection, many in line with GDPR, and again, a good external DPO can provide you guidance on those. So if you trade overseas, they can help you with that as well. Because it's important to remember that your legal obligations under GDPR and data subject rights under GDPR are not optional. You must do them, and you must do them correctly. And we'd also argue that a good DPO, employed or used correctly, can actually be a strong business advantage to your organisation or your company because it means that 
if you are tendering for a new business or if you are dealing with a external customer who wants proof of your compliance with GDPR, then a external DPO should be able to provide that very easily for you and therefore help you answer those questions, help you win new business within your organisation. So if you'd like to find out more about what we do as an external DPO, then please do get in touch with us. Just drop us an email to podcast.insurability.co.uk, C-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and one of our team will get back to you, and we look forward to working with you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.